This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, May 7th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. There was a time when the average Republican cared genuinely about good governance and keeping federal spending under control. It appears that time is long gone, as conservatives have steadily turned toward attempting to use big government for conservative ends. Democrats have gone one better. They appear to have stopped pretending to care about deficits and debt. Eric Bame is a reporter at Reason. His latest cover story for the magazine is about the fights over spending that aren't happening. It is 2021. How complete would you say uh, is the abandonment of fiscal responsibility among Republicans? Uh, it is almost complete, um, with the exception of maybe some performative antics here and there uh, as a way to uh, prevent Democratic policy priorities uh, from passing at times. But uh, even during the pandemic, we haven't really seen that uh, certainly not be an effective strategy, although it's still something that Republicans kind of reflexively grope towards uh, for like rhetorical points. Um, but uh, yeah, there's really there's there's very little, I think, right now in uh, in and the conservative caucus is, of course, very fractured. So it's difficult to draw any like real conclusions about them. But I think generally you don't see conservatives right now prioritizing fiscal conservatism. Uh, at all. You don't see much concern uh, from at least from elected leaders in Congress about uh, debts and deficits. And uh, and I think really more importantly, you you didn't see any of that when they had the opportunity to actually do some r- important things uh, in that space during the Trump administration when Republicans controlled uh, not just the White House, but Congress as well. And uh, what did they do? They, they removed the discretionary spending caps that had been put in place by Republicans, many of the same Republicans in in many cases uh, during the Obama years, they removed those discretionary spending caps. They approved budgets uh, that that blew through those old spending caps and increased spending on the military and on domestic programs, and uh, really just laid the groundwork for uh, making what was already going to be a significant fiscal crisis for the country even worse. Uh, most of the the debt and deficit issues that America is going to face in the next decade or so. Are uh, they're, they're built into the fact that we have kind of runaway entitlement spending, and that's not something that Congress you know changes when they when they pass budgets every year. But rather than try to get their hands around that problem, they made the discretionary part of the problem worse, and so it just compounds the entire mess. Yeah, the baseline uh, crisis that has been approaching has been approaching for a long time uh, with uh, run sort of runaway entitlement spending, but we haven't really seen the costs of it yet, or at least the the big crisis yet, uh, to the extent that Republicans have left aside their uh, scruples when it comes to spending, Democrats seem to have seized that opportunity and said, well, I'll show you what spending looks like. Sure. I think Democrats now increasingly feel like they don't want to play this deficit politics game that they think has kind of been rigged against them all along. Uh, there were there were two decades or so where uh, Democrats were engaging with Republicans. And you can see this in the political rhetoric going back, uh, really starting at the end of the Clinton administration, but all through the Bush years, when uh, when Obama ran against Bush in 2008, he criticized the president. He said it was unpatriotic for uh, President Bush to have run up the debt and deficit as much as he did. And uh, and then, of course, Obama comes in and there's a huge spending surge in the first few years there because of the uh, because the Great Recession. Uh, but the, the de- deficit does come down a bit later in the Obama years. But even then, you still see kind of a bipartisan effort at uh, getting the government's hands around this long term crisis. You saw and none of them worked out, but you did see some like bipartisan commissions, irks and bowls, things like that in the Obama years. Uh, 
once Republicans took back control in 2016 and revealed that all of their talk about concern about the debt and concern about fiscal conservatism was just a, a, a sham or mostly a sham, um, I think Democrats have now fully abandoned like, well, fine, if, if you guys are not going to care about this, we're not we're going to stop even pretending to. And that's why you really do see this uh, emergent view on the left. And you don't even have to go as far as some of the more extreme views like modern monetary theory. Uh, even the sort of the mainstream consensus view on the political left now is that uh, larger deficits are are fine if that's going to drive economic growth and if it's going to help people, if we can direct the, you know, more government spending towards uh, justice, social justice issues, environmental justice issues, whatever. And you see all of that uh, in the in the Biden administration. You see all of that just in the first hundred days, the six billion dollars, six trillion dollars in new spending that uh, President Biden has proposed. Uh, that's that's a huge break from where Democrats have been, from where uh, even kind of the the most leftward position of of most Democrats have been in in the last few decades. And it's it's difficult to be the guy standing in the middle of the street saying, "No, we can, we can't spend all this money, even though we have massive unemployment, uh, which we did a year ago." Uh, and if I were a, a median Democrat right now, I would look at some of the data currently about inflation, about uh, the 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 amount we're paying in interest on debt and say, well, it doesn't seem like a crisis right now. Yeah, I mean, it seems that there's sort of two things that are working in conjunction here, right? There are there's the the short term uh, one off emergency spending that has been approved to deal with the pandemic. And I think you can and, and we should criticize a lot of that as having been wasteful and poorly targeted. Um, but thankfully, most of that is just a one time thing. It comes off the books. Uh, the real problem and the, and the thing that's been driving the rising debt to GDP ratio, for example, that will continue to rise even after the pandemic is well behind us uh, are, are entitlement programs. It's Social Security, it's Medicare and Medicaid primarily, which now account for uh, like almost half of the of the federal budget of, of the money that the government spends. Um, and just to kind of put all this in, in context, I think it's interesting to look at the fact that when you adjust for inflation, the amount of money that the federal government spent just 25 years ago, uh, they spent uh, about $2.4 trillion. That's total government spending adjusted for inflation to today's dollars was about $2.4 trillion. Uh, we just approved in March a $1.9 trillion one-time emergency spending bill, right? You got 80% of what of everything the federal government did in 1996 could have been paid for by the the one-time emergency spending bill that was passed uh, just in March. And that's on top of all the other pandemic spending. So it really is kind of these two uh, competing things uh, that are that are simultaneously driving us towards the, the highest debt to GDP ratio the country has ever seen. Um, but even after the pandemic is over, and even after that, that big chunk of spending comes off the books, uh, we still have these long-term problems to deal with that, that there's really no political will whatsoever to address right now. You made note in uh, your cover story, the most recent cover story in Reason Magazine, of the fact that you don't have to go back that far in federal budgets to see total federal spending that is the size of our current deficit. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you don't have to go back even 25 years to get to that point. And uh, that whole piece was kind of built around uh, the idea that Bill Clinton 25 years ago gave uh, the, one of the few memorable or quotable State of the Union addresses in history when he said that uh, that the era of big government was over. That's just kind of like laughable or ironic, I think, now from the perspective of 25 years later. Obviously, that wasn't uh, the end of the era of big government. 
And uh, yeah, and, and so now we've got a, a, a deficit uh, last year that was over of over three trillion dollars. And as I said, every when you add up all the things that the federal government paid for in 1996 and adjust it for inflation, that's significantly smaller. It's two point four trillion dollars. So uh, there's there's the fiscal issue, and then I think the other interesting thing about Clinton's address and the thing that maybe people don't remember because you remember that one line. It's a great like bumper sticker slogan, and it's also like darkly ironic now from 25 years later. But Clinton went on in that same speech to kind of outline it you know that it that it was more than just a bumper sticker it was uh, he said we know big government does not have all the answers we know there's not a program for every problem and we have to give the american people a government that lives within its means and like especially the we know there's not a program for every problem you don't even hear conservatives saying that today much less democrats or liberals right you've got josh holly and mitt romney and and most uh, of the sort of leading republicans in the senate uh, are proposing more government programs to solve more problems today big spending ones entitlement programs like a new uh, child tax credit or or a child subsidy uh, which is going to be one of the next big debates that congress has once the pandemic is over policy debates and uh and so it's like that's that's a conception of government that just doesn't exist right now on either the right or the left yeah it's it's weird to to think that uh for so long at least in in my memory uh republicans would stand against uh, expansion of programs that had long been championed by the left. And now it, it seems, at least within the last five years or so, Republicans are thinking, well, as long as we can use uh, big spending for conservative ends, that is supporting the growth of families, allowing uh, a parent to stay home with children, as long as we're doing those things, big spending is okay. Yeah, I think you saw a pattern of behavior with conservatives for a long time where, and this goes back even you know more than 25 years, right? This goes back to the New Deal and to the Great Society where conservatives would oppose these things when they were passed and then they would they would prove eventually to be popular, many of them, even if they're very inefficient, as libertarians point out over and over and over again, but they're politically popular. And then eventually you end up with conservatives sort of embracing and defending them against like whatever the next big change that the progressives are proposing. And you saw a lot of this even as recently as the last presidential election, right, where you had Republicans kind of after years of fighting Obamacare, now kind of defending Obamacare and saying, oh, no, what the Democrats want to do next is Medicaid for all. And that's going to mean that you lose your health insurance. Right. So there's always been that kind of of uh, of switch that happens as as time goes on. But now I think you're absolutely right. What you're seeing is it's not just Republicans uh, resisting and then kind of reluctantly embracing the political reality of of bigger government programs, but actually trying to get out on the forefront. We've kind of gone from a situation where you had Democrats and Republicans both fighting at least rhetorically, if not always in terms of policy, over who could do a better job of reducing the deficit or at least keeping the deficit stable. And now we've seen it kind of switch the opposite way where you have both Republicans and Democrats uh, very much rhetorically and then also in a policy sense, uh, pushing to expand government as much as they can and, and take credit for those things. Do you sense that uh, given the Republicans' abandonment, especially during the, the Trump years of a pretense of restraint when it comes to federal spending that they've sort of kneecapped themselves now that uh, Joe Biden and congressional Democrats want to ramp it up even more. 
yeah, I think it's going to be difficult for uh, Republicans to at least sincerely uh, oppose spending. And we, and I mean, some of this right now is difficult to judge because of the pandemic, right? And it's, and as to your point earlier, it's, it's very difficult to be the guy standing there saying, no, 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 don't give more money to people who are out of work because their city government shut down their business, right? So I, I think that dynamic will evolve as the Biden presidency goes on, and especially as the pandemic uh, really does get fully behind us. I think it's most of the way behind us already, but once it's it's fully gone. Jared Bernstein, for example, who is now one of the uh, one of the White House Council of Economic Advisors, and uh, he talked about in a in a piece that was published in the Washington Post in October of last year, just before the election, about how Democrats have to start ignoring the phony caterwauling of the deficit chicken hawks. And he said that uh, the new dynamics of debt not only open economic opportunities but political ones. If conservatives ignore austerity when they're in power, but Democrats embrace it when they take control. Uh, this is Jared Bernstein again, uh, says that the, then Democrats will consistently fail to meet the needs of their constituents. So basically just saying uh, we have to completely reject this idea that that Republicans, once they're out of power, will surely resurrect again of concern about the debt and deficit. And uh, that seems to be the approach that Democrats are now taking. That's very much the, the mainstream sense uh, from Democrats. What what seems to allow this to to continue is the fact that there is, for the most part, maybe a tenuous relationship between the amount of taxes that Americans pay and the the distribution of those tax burdens uh, and the amount of spending that the government does. And yet I've seen people like Mike Lee argue for some sort of cap on debt or cap on spending, and it just doesn't ever go anywhere. And, and and to to hear Jeff Myron here at Cato talk about it, even if you adopted those things, that, that that doesn't guarantee that those spending restraints would be credible, that Congress would not uh, fiddle with the numbers in order to make their spending plans acceptable. Sure, and I think you see some of that in the uh, what happened with the discretionary spending caps that were imposed in in 2012. Right, uh, Congress didn't abide by them for very long. They they were successful in some ways in sort of bending that the curve of the deficit downward and uh, getting things back, uh, you know, not to a, a balanced budget, but getting a little bit closer in that direction. And I think any, uh, any similar restriction is going to face the same sort of challenges. And then, and then the other half of this, of course, that we keep talking about is the, is the mandatory spending, the, the entitlement spending that the federal government does. And that's, you know, there's no discretionary spending cap that's going to change that. Uh, what is going to change that is the fact that Social Security is going to be insolvent in a, maybe another decade, maybe even a little less than that, um, and that means there'll be there'll be automatic twenty uh, percent benefit cuts across the board when that when that point is reached. And I think then you have a very obvious political trigger to force Congress to do something because then people will care, right? Like the politics will very much change once people's Social Security checks get smaller. The problem is if you wait that long. To start addressing the problem, and this is a point that uh, the people at the uh, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget make all the time, Maya McGinnis and, and the rest of her folks who really do yeoman's work on this issue when nobody wants to talk about it. Um, but they uh, they make the point all the time of the longer you wait to address this, uh, the more difficult it's going to be, the higher taxes we'll have to have, or the more uh, significant spending cuts you'll have to see just to bring things back into balance. And the, the political rewards to avoiding a massive problem just 
<laughs> just don't seem to be there. It's always going to be uh, right. I mean, like President Trump supposedly said it was reported that he said that he didn't have to worry about the debt and deficit because it wouldn't be a problem till he was out of office. And that's just saying the quiet part loud, which is something he was really good at doing in politics um, is is that's always the thing. It's well, we'll kick it down the road and it'll be uh, the next uh, majority leader's problem or the next Congress's problem. There's no uh, political motivation there. And uh, and and this is not a thing that people really care about unless they're you know unless it's unless it's a thing that the campaigns are talking about unless it becomes kind of part of the uh, political uh, discussion in the country and so I think it's really about uh, it's really about candidates for office making this trying to make this point even if people aren't super receptive to it it's an it's an important thing that needs to be talked about just to sort of lay the groundwork for uh, for fixing the problem you know who knows years from now. Eric Bame is a reporter at Reason. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.